Today's Bible reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 23 to 27 from the NIV version. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Good morning, everybody. Mara and I like to think we're, we're pretty natural people. So when she was pregnant with Anna, we had all the best laid plans for how we would get through childbirth without all of the modern interventions. But because our little girl is stubborn, that meant a long, painful labour, over 24 hours of it. There was lots and lots of groaning. And there were many mixed emotions. But this groaning, it wasn't desperate. Uh, it wasn't desperate as though this process needed to be over as soon as possible at all costs because there's good physiological reasons for painful labour. And the groaning wasn't resigned, as though this would never end, and as though there was no point to it all. It was progressing, and that wonderful outcome was becoming more tangible with each moment. And it wasn't naive, as though this wasn't actually painful, and there weren't real complications or real dangers. Marin's groaning during childbirth was filled with hope for the good thing that was to come. But she had to be patient because there's a process and the end wasn't here yet and the way forward was still hard and painful. It's no accident at all that the verse we finished on last week, verse 22, says, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth as it waits, verse 21, to be liberated and glorified. So what are you hoping for? patiently, perhaps with hurdles and perhaps with pain along the way. Maybe you're training for a marathon. Maybe you need to learn a new language. And maybe you're trying to set yourself up for retirement. Maybe you've got relatives in another state or another country and you don't know when you'll be able to see them again. Last week, Mark unpacked the big picture dynamic of the future glory purchased for us by Christ but the suffering that we must endure in the present. This week's passage looks a bit closer at the personal experience of that tension, and it calls it groaning. Verse 22 finished with the whole of creation groaning. This morning, I've broken the passage into two main sections. We have something that I think is unsurprising, and we have something that I think is spectacularly surprising along with some implications from each. So let's have a look. Unsurprisingly, verse 23 says, Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We shouldn't be surprised that Christians suffer. The creation is groaning and Christians are part of that creation, 
And we know that all of humanity suffers, and we are, after all, still fully human. But creation and humanity suffer without hope. Or if they have hope, it's thin, it's tenuous, maybe futile. It has no firm foundation. That is where the Christian hope, and therefore the Christian groaning, is unique. The unique reason given in verse 23 for why Christians groan is because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. What does that mean? It's not the fruit of the Spirit like in Galatians 5. That's a different thing. Or sometimes the Spirit is described as a down payment or a guarantee, like in Ephesians 1 or in 2 Corinthians 1. But it's not quite like that either. Here, in Romans 8, Paul is harking back to the Jewish tradition of the Feast of First Fruits from Leviticus 23. The first head of grain is brought to the temple and presented to God, and the people celebrate. But they aren't celebrating this single measly head of grain. That would be really silly. What they're celebrating is what the first head promises, which is the bounty of the season to come. They celebrate in anticipation, in hope. And the sense here in our passage is actually that the Holy Spirit, who dwells inside each believer, is himself that first fruit. But if the Holy Spirit is like the first head of grain, what is like the harvest to come? Two remarkable promises are reiterated in verse 23. First, adoption to sonship, which we heard about a couple of weeks ago in verses 14 to 17. We are to be adopted, becoming, verse 17, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Just a quick note about the language of son rather than sons and daughters here. This is only in the sense that back when this was written, it was the son who inherited everything, not the daughters. So, this passage is, is actually remarkably countercultural because it's addressed to men and women, and it's saying that women are also going to receive the inheritance. And the second promise is the redemption of our bodies, which was hinted at the week before that in verses 5 to 13. Our bodies are subject to death because of sin, verse 10. But he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies, verse 11. These mighty promises are ways of describing the unending season of peace and abundance and blessing, which is our future hope. But the only reason we can believe and look forward to such incredible things is because we actually have the first fruits of the Spirit now. If that first head of grain had never sprouted, there would be nothing to look forward to, because you would be in the midst of drought or famine. But the Holy Spirit is our foretaste. He brings peace and blessing now, but it's spiritual and it's internal. This reminds us that one day, we will also experience the peace and blessing of God physically and all around us. But it hasn't happened yet. And the present pathway is tough and sometimes it's painful. 
God's full presence and full rule isn't a reality yet. We are anticipating it. We are hoping for it. But we are frustrated as we wait. Verse 23, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. In the next couple of verses, the Apostle Paul gives us some pointers about what Christian groaning is like. Verses 24 to 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Redemption and adoption are incredible promises. But we mustn't act as though they have already come. They remain in the future. That's kind of what hope is. I'm hoping to visit my family on the Sunshine Coast at the end of the year. And once I'm there in January, I won't be hoping for it anymore. I will be able to see them and touch them. It will be real. And so it will no longer be a hope. But we do not see our adoption and our redemption in this way yet. That's what Paul means when he says in verse 24 that hope that is seen is no hope at all. Hope is a reminder that God is governing all things towards a final purpose. Part of what it means to be saved, verse 24, in this hope we were saved, is accepting and submitting to that God and that God's wonderful purpose. But we live with the tension that we haven't reached that moment of fulfilment yet. It's not our plan. And we aren't God. We can't force it. The natural implication to follow in verse 25 is, be patient. All things in due time. All things according to God's plans. So that's what Christian groaning is like. It's hopeful and it's patient. Let's clarify what that's like with some examples of what it's not like. Uh, Some of us struggle when we or other believers we know are struck with terrible misfortune. Illness, maybe, or family breakdowns, or careers terminated. That's hard. There's no doubt about it. And we may not always understand it all. But we don't grow desperate. Desperation is the absence of hope. In chapter 5 of Romans, Paul reassures us that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Some of us look out at the world around us and its history. We see wars and disease and poverty and destruction in seemingly endless cycles. Evil and justice abound all around us. We can feel small and powerless in the face of it all. But we don't give in to an atheistic resignation because we know it won't go on forever. We know that the day of the Lord will come when he will pass judgment on all this wickedness. And none who have profited from all of this evil will escape. On the other hand, some of us, I think, I think we can be a little naive. Things have been pretty good for us. We think the best of others. Uh, And we think that everything, everyone is basically pretty good at heart. And 
as long as uh, as long as we keep our chins up and stay positive, everything will work out in the end. This underestimates the power of sin, and it misunderstands the age that we live in. We aren't called to be all doom and gloom and moping about. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but we have to be realistic. Humanity and the world are broken, and they have not been renewed yet. Christians grow. But because we have the first fruits of the Spirit, our groaning is not desperate. Our groaning is not resigned. And our groaning is not naive. Our groaning is realistic. And it is hopeful and patient. If you're a visitor with us today, and you don't know what that is like, if, if you think that hope is futile or unattainable for you, can we talk to you more about that? Please get in touch. That might be uh, with the person who, who invited you along today. Or you might just like to reach out to the church staff directly. You can do that uh, with the contact details on this page. We want to help you understand and better yet, to experience the hope that God offers. But for any of us, it's not easy, is it? But thankfully, that same Holy Spirit who is in each of us, he helps us in our struggle. And that starts with something really, really surprising. Let's turn to that now. Surprisingly, verses 26 to 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's not just creation that groans, as it waits for the children of God to be revealed. And it's not just the children of God who groan as they wait for their adoption and their redemption of their bodies. Verse 26 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us. What's the same way? It's, it's drawing on verses 22 and, and 23. It's groaning. The Spirit groans just as the creation groans and just as Christians groan. Do you see what that means? It means that God is groaning too. And God is with us in our frustration and with us in our hope. It's the comfort of solidarity. And we all know that feeling. We don't, we don't always need solutions. <clears throat> Sometimes we just need someone to understand. Sometimes we just need someone to be with us in our struggle. It's that knowing glance. It's that silent hand on the shoulder. When we are suffering, God suffers with us. There's something about this I just love so much. Because we can think of God as aloof and distant, caring and in control. But we can think of this world and this, this history as something that God is doing, perhaps. 
but not something that he is subjected to like we are. But the truth is so much better than that. God is sovereign, yes, but he made himself a part of this history. He came right alongside us. Verse 3 of this chapter says that God sent his own son in the flesh to be a sin offering. And now here, a little bit later, his own spirit groans with us just as we do. Because the fulfillment of history that all of this is progressing towards, you see, God is hoping for that too. And he's frustrated because it's going to be really good. And he really wants it all to be perfected and completed. You might ask, well, he's God, isn't he? If he wants it to be done, why doesn't he just finish it already? Uh, The Apostle Peter answers that question in 2 Peter 3. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In today's passage, though, God just wants us to know that he understands our frustration and he is right there with us in it. He didn't only experience the the general human condition when he sent his son into the world. And he didn't only suffer a cosmic injustice on the cross. God also experiences your personal struggle. He knows you. He is with you. And your pain matters to him. This comforts me. My God is not far off. Let's have a look at some of the ways this works. When does it happen? Verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Are you ever tempted to think that the Christians who seem to have it all together are the godly and mature ones? Or do you think there's some cookie-cutter personality or demeanour which, um, which all good Christians possess? Or do you think of a certain style of church service or as being perhaps more suitable or more pleasing to God? Our character and our worship are always incomplete and they're always inconsistent. And that's every single one of us. Thankfully, it's not in our strength and our perfection. It's in our weakness, our inadequacy. It's in our frustrated groaning that the Spirit of God helps us. He doesn't wait for us to get it all together. He doesn't wait for us to summon him with the right rituals, the right songs and the right prayers or the right preaching. He doesn't wait for us to act a certain way or to will ourselves into the right mindset or the right emotional state. God is with me, almost especially when I am just not feeling like I am worthy or when I'm ready for it. It's ironic, but it's just so beautiful and it's, it's one more expression of his grace and his love and his solidarity with all of humanity. How does it happen? Continuing in verse 26, 
We do not know what we ought to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. Here we're falling short again. We're weak. We're inadequate. We're frustrated. We know there is a great God who has a great plan. And we can feel as though we're just not up to the task of understanding him and knowing what we should do. If we knew these things, we could pray them. But once more, God the Holy Spirit doesn't wait until we pray the right things to act. Instead, he himself does the legwork right when we can't. To be clear, verse 26 is saying that the Spirit intercedes when we are groaning wordlessly. Some have thought that these wordless groans might be speaking in tongues. Paul discusses that pretty extensively in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, but it's not what he's getting at here. And the term that, transla- that is translated as, as wordless here is what would be used to describe other creatures who lack language. Language is a unique gift of God to humanity, but we are still part of God's created order. Yet, we foolishly think even more of ourselves, presuming that we have the right and the power to subject the world to our will. Only God has that right or that power. So, to groan even without our language, to groan wordlessly, describes our our gut sense our gut acknowledgement that we're not God. We are only creatures. We are limited, dependent, totally dependent on God. And that is when the Spirit takes over. Some have said that this verse describes all true prayer. And I think they might be right. Verse 27 elaborates on what the Spirit's intercession is. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When God searches the hearts of those who pray humbly and dependently, God is pleased to find right there in those hearts his own spirit, and his own spirit reflects back to him precisely what we wish we could fully understand and fully express to him anyway. The spirit reflects back to him his own perfect will. Brothers and sisters, we must pray with such great humility But we can also pray with great confidence because mighty God hears those prayers and he finds them acceptable because of the work of his spirit who intercedes for us. So Romans 8, 23 to 27 is a tremendous comfort. It's essential to know what God's big picture plan is, his plan for all of history and for its culmination in Jesus Christ at the end of this age. 
But it's also essential to just be able to bear with it all right here and right now. And we've seen that God is right here with us in the trenches. We are encouraged that the only reason we have a realistic and a substantial hope is because we already possess the Holy Spirit, who is the first fruits of the promises which are to come. We groan as we wait eagerly, and we are comforted because the God of the whole universe is groaning with us. He is also looking forward to the fulfillment of all things. As we try to know him and worship him in all of our weakness, all of our frustration, we are humbled. And at that moment, his spirit presents our hopeful, humble, patient prayers to God in a way that glorifies him. So let's pray now, not without words, but in humility and dependence. Please join me. Merciful Father, we are so thankful that you just understand us. You're our loving creator and you want to know what we experience. You want to be with us in it and strengthen us through it. Thank you, Father, that not only have you sent your son to die on the cross, to rise again to new life and to prepare for us an eternity with you, but you have also given us your Holy Spirit right now as we wait. Your Holy Spirit, which reminds us of what is going to come in the future and which helps us to live before you as your people, depending on you each moment, praying to you. Thank you, Father, that you don't leave us to our own devices and that you don't need us to be strong and perfect in order to please you and to know you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus and we pray it by your spirit who intercedes for us. Amen.